Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Welcome in the DLF family of podcasts. That's James the Brain. Guys, preseason football is so much greater than no season football. That's Travis the Beard. Hey guys, what is red and smells like blue paint? Red paint. <laughs> I almost had that one too. <laughs> almost, James. Almost, John. <laughs> I am John, best management in theory, worst management in practice, Hogue, and this is a Super Flex Super Show. With players getting hurt, players losing their jobs, players climbing the depth chart, so much movement in fantasy football right now, and we've got some best management practices to help you navigate it, but first, your unsurprising headline of the week with James the Brain. Yeah, so after some preseason action, which I'm super excited that we had preseason football. I'm probably the only one, but whatever. I, I, I like it, and I enjoyed it, and I'm all for preseason. But anyways, after the first week of preseason, we got to see the Denver Broncos, and uh, and we got to see Paxton Lynch. And so my unsurprising headline is, from Roto World, Broncos make it official, Chad Kelly is QB2. Anybody yes. who watched the Broncos game knows that Paxton Lynch is I mean he's 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 probably on pace to back up Johnny Manziel in Montreal. Um he was he looked awful. He did not look like he belonged in the league. Chad Kelly came in immediately looked 10 times better than him. He was he was I mean dropping dimes, he was throwing lasers, he was on target. There were there were a few, you know, later later on there were a few bad passes and he held the ball a little bit longer than he should, but he looked 10 times better than Paxton Lynch. This is a no-brainer. Anybody who watched that game already knew that that Chad Kelly was the QB2 there, right, John? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and I think that the entire point was meant to be all right, so let's let's clear something up real quick. Vance Joseph does not believe in Paxton Lynch. He hasn't for as long as he's been here. Vance Joseph is not the problem here. John Elway is the problem. Vance Joseph was out to prove to John Elway once and for all that Paxton Lynch is not an NFL quarterback. And I think that maybe the message finally landed. I'm hoping so that maybe now we can just get on with 
a productive preseason the rest of the way with Case Keenum and Chad Kelly. Maybe you even bring in a, a veteran guy to compete with Chad Kelly for that number two job because Paxton Lynch can't do it. So yeah, that was that was absolutely brutal. And there is so much, you know, the old problems with Paxton Lynch, holding the ball too long, that's still there. He, he still can't memorize more than one play at a time, guys. He had to huddle during every play, and you could see the difference in the energy and the difference in the pace once Chad Kelly came into the game. But Paxton Lynch just doesn't have that ability. You can't you can't go no huddle with him. He can't remember the plays. And now, on top of all that, he's getting tight ends killed with his total inaccuracy and, he's, and his bad decision-making, and he's still not completing passes to him either. So, yeah, it, this, this is... This, the surprising part to me is that Paxton Lynch is still on this roster currently. Yeah, I'm mostly just excited that we finally get some positive Chad Kelly news. And, I mean, anybody who has Chad Kelly, I mean, we've all been rostering this guy for 12 months. So it's nice to finally get some sort of, like, at least a confirmation that you shouldn't drop him. You know what I mean? Like, he's always been that kind of end of the roster guy or like oh, I want to pick up this guy but I'd have to drop Chad Kelly and so it's nice to just be able to know he's actually the QB2 you can hang on to him for a little bit and he holds a little bit more value than he did three days ago yep so we'll get to talk about Chad Kelly a little bit more later uh, I think that the the bigger part of that was Paxton Lynch but uh luckily I don't know that we have to talk about him ever again and I'm really looking forward to that so from there we can get into this week's the the meat and potatoes of this week's episode where again we're talking about some best best management practices for surviving the preseason in your super flex leagues we've got some situations that we want to talk about and how it relates to your fantasy rosters, both in redraft and dynasty. Let's so let's start with the redraft, guys. And uh, this was actually one that I was curious about, so I'm gonna go ahead and throw it out to you guys first. Alshon Jeffrey looks like he's gonna start the season on the pup list. So first of all, in a redraft league, what does this do? How how do you manage this if you've already drafted Alshon Jeffrey? If you were considering drafting Alshon Jeffrey, and from there. Does this affect Carson Wentz? Does this affect Carson Wentz's ability to get on the field sooner or not? Does And from there, what does it do to Nick Foles? So a lot of moving parts in the, the Eagles uh, passing game just because of uh, Alshon Jeffrey on top of what they already had with the Carson Wentz um, recovering from the ACL injury. So I want to get you guys' thoughts on that. Start with you, Travis. So I first want to point out that the report is that he could begin the season on the pup, not that he should or is likely to. Right. Uh, and I think that's a big distinction uh, because likely to kind of, I mean, you know what I mean? It's it could, it could go either way right now. So it's definitely not a for sure thing that he's going to miss six weeks. Um, but he could. And he had his surgery six, uh, six months ago. Or no, right after the Super Bowl he had his surgery. So, yeah, I don't know. That would that would definitely suck. I was kind of uh, looking into the Eagles a little bit more and really, really starting to plant my flag on Alshon Jeffrey for 2018 in redraft, and that hurts a little bit. Um, 
I it it's got to hurt Wentz a little bit just for his redraft production, like his immediate 2018 production, because Alshon Jeffrey is a good player. I mean, what do they have behind him? It's it's Nelson Aguilar, and it's Mac Hollins, and obviously Ertz. But I mean, it's a big it's a big blow to that offense. I think um, Aguilar, I think, can handle a larger, more number one ish type workload than he has in the past. I really like Aguilar and that would obviously help him, but I would have to think that it hurts Wentz probably just a couple pegs in the the quarterback rankings. But mainly I'm just sad for my boy Alshon. I was really starting to like him for this year. Yeah, that you know that's interesting. I think in a previous podcast I'd mentioned how uh one of my bold takes was that I thought Nelson Aguilar could outperform or perform equally to Alshon Jeffrey. And so I, I don't know that I've been as high on Jeffrey as as you are, but I think his presence on the field really affects Aguilar too. Um, same thing with Ertz. So I, I think he needs to be out there um, for them to really, you know, reach their full stride too. If not, you're putting number one cornerbacks on Nelson Aguilar. Um, Zach Ertz probably becomes the number one target there. So you, you're probably... You know, I, I, I don't know. I just I feel like defenses are going to try to take Zach Ertz away. So I, I think I think the sooner you can get Elshon Jeffrey better, or yeah, the sooner you can get Elshon Jeffrey healthy, the better um, for this offense in particular. Um, obviously better for, for Jeffrey, and I think better for everyone involved, really. Um, I almost wonder what it does to the running game. You know, does it, does it maybe – Maybe Corey Clement gets some more targets out of the backfield. Maybe they motion him out to the slot a little bit more to get some mismatches on linebackers or something like that. But, um, yeah, there's a lot to analyze here. You know, is Carson Wentz ready for week one? All signs as of right now point to yes. But, I mean, we haven't had a had a for sure yes. I mean, if you have Nick Foles rostered, you know, maybe the Eagles are as cautious as possible and they wait a week or two. You know, there's no need to rush him back, really. So, um, I, I think there's a lot of moving parts with this one. It's really interesting on what we should do, but I think for me in particular, I'm willing to take a chance that Carson Wentz is ready week one. Um, I think if that does happen, Nick Foles probably ends up somewhere else before long. Um, so I'm buying Nick Foles late, late, late in drafts and hoping that he gets a starting job right away because I think it'll happen. And as far as Alshon Jeffrey goes, man, it's tough. If you're drafting now, it's it's really difficult to gauge his value but because I wasn't as high on him as others were I probably would pass at his current ADP and I don't I don't know really when his when that risk becomes becomes you know value um, at that point with everything going on with him so uh, yeah that's my take on it what about you John I, I wrote this down because I honestly don't really know for sure I mean I could see I could see a scenario where this rushes Carson Wentz back onto the field a little bit sooner than expected. You know, I I don't know for sure what the plan was with Carson Wentz. I think we talked about it last week, Travis and I, and we had kind of decided that the most likely scenario is Carson Wentz plays early on, but, you know, that you draft Nick Foles just in case, kind of as a, as a handcuff. At least that was my take. I don't remember if Travis agreed with that or not. So we had kind of talked about, you know, that there might not necessarily be a reason to rush Carson Wentz back. And maybe they start with Nick Foles and maybe Nick Foles is kind of the, you know, kind of the handcuff 
to Carson Wentz until Wentz does come back. But I wonder if things change now with the possibility of Alshon Jeffrey going on pup list. That's what makes this really difficult is that we don't know for sure. So, I mean, that's why we're trying to unpack this a little bit for fantasy purposes. But so right at the moment with limited information, I guess I'm kind of going off the assumption that Alshon Jeffrey goes on pup. And I know that that's not the most likely, but that's that's kind of the actionable uh, possible outcome here. So, um, so I was going to actually say, sorry, John, no. can I jump in real quick? Yeah, totally. I was going to say kind of the opposite. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Really? But so assuming assuming he goes on the pup is the safe way. Yeah. To play it, obviously. Right. And if you don't want to take that risk, that's totally understandable because if you draft him and redraft and he, he's got to sit on your four or five player bench for six weeks, that's going to kill you. Mm-hmm. But we've got essentially like three weeks from now until the, the season starts where everybody's going to be doing their redraft drafts. And with this news, I mean, Alshon could drop to the seventh or eighth round potentially. And so you could end up getting a really good value on him. And there's a there's a chance he doesn't start. I mean, if you can get Alshon in the eighth round and then he starts week one, like that could be that could be a league winning move right there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there <laughs> this is this is where this episode might get a, a little a little sticky for us because there's kind of again, there are a lot of moving parts to this situation. And then there are a lot of hypothetical scenarios for fantasy purposes. So what if you already drafted Alshon Jeffrey to be your wide receiver too? Or even if, you know, you you kind of pushed off the wide receiver position for several rounds and went with Alshon as your wide receiver one, um, there's a contingency plan, I think, to be identified there. So I'm I'm kind of curious what you guys think about that one too. I think you're stuck with him. So I I mean you you draft him in a redraft league already. Yeah. Most redraft leagues don't have trading until the season starts, and at that point we're already going to know if he's on pup or not. Sure. So are you going to sell a guy that's on pup week one for uh for some sort of contributor level player like? I, just to get points during those six weeks, or do you hold them yeah, and try to wait it out? So in that case, I think you have to hold, but I guess I'm wondering, like, what does that do to your draft strategy if you're in the middle of your draft right now? In the middle of your slow draft, you already have Alshon Jeffrey, and then you find out that he uh, he he could start the season on Pup. Yeah, for, for me, if, if that's the, the case, I'm probably less likely to swing for high upside guys later. So for me, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, I'll, the way I like to draft, I like to draft safer guys, guys who I, I view as safer starting for starters. And then I like to swing for upside in my bench. And uh, I think if I have Elshon Jeffrey already rostered and then this news breaks and I'm in the middle of a draft, I'm probably going away from that a little bit. I'm probably looking for safer guys that are going to be on my bench at the receiver position just because I know I'm going to need that constant, those points that some of those guys can provide as opposed to a high upside guy. So I guess, for instance, if I'm looking at a guy like, um, I I don't know, if I'm looking at a guy like Kenny Galladay um, or, you know, I'm looking at a guy like 
Nelson Aguilar, or maybe not even Aguilar because he's on the same team. Maybe a Cooper Cup. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, a Cooper Cup. Or yeah, I was even going to say some, yeah, like a Cooper Cup. I'm probably taking Cooper Cup because I think he's safer. Whereas in a, a normal draft build for me, I'd probably be swinging on upside with Kenny Galladay. So uh, to me, I'm going to take the safer guy. I'm going to take that guy that uh, I can rely on those points for. And he might not have the highest upside, but I'm probably going to gonna approach it that way um, as opposed to the way I would normally draft. I love that. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Yeah. No, that's that's exactly what we're looking for here. It's kind of some some action items on each one of these. So I know we spent a little bit more time on that than than we intend to on most of these. Again, I think there's just kind of a lot of depth to that one. So um, I'm going to give you guys one for Dynasty now. And uh, I, th- I kind of have a feeling it's going to be a little bit of the same thing, but we'll, we'll be able to speed up a little bit uh, after this one. But let's move on to Darius Geis. Out for the season, torn ACL in a dynasty league. You, you know, you, you, okay. (laughs) In a dynasty league, you had a horrible season last season, most likely, unless you traded for that pick, but you had a crap season last year. You got to 1.02. You couldn't quite get Barkley. You felt like, well, guys could def could still help me turn this team around. And now you lose him in the, in the first week of the preseason. Do you just tank again this season or do you try and somehow salvage some type of value out of Darius guys and get back some value, some actual fantasy fantasy points in 2018. What are you guys doing there as a guy's owner? So I, if you earned the one Oh two Darius guys, wasn't going to be the catalyst to make you or to take you to the playoffs anyways. That, you know what I mean? That one player wasn't going to do it. So yep. And if you sell him now, what's the best you're going to get for Darius Geis right now? A, a 2019 first, like straight up, you know, like, so I, I, I just don't I, think there's much there. And go ahead, John. Well, I was just going to say real quick, though, and part of why I brought this up is because this is this is actually pretty frustrating to me. But I'm seeing some Twitter polls. Tyree Kill stri- straight up for Darius Geis and Geis is destroying the hillside. Corey Davis straight up for Darius Geis, and Geis is destroying Corey Davis. I don't know what's going on here, but somehow Darius Geis added value by blowing <laughs> out his knee. So, <laughs> yeah, can I, can I, uh, real quick, I just want to comment. I, okay, so Twitter polls, I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think, I think the majority of it is going to be fantasy Twitter. It's going to be the same people voting on a lot of these polls. And a lot of these guys consider themselves sharks, and they, they feel like now's the time to buy Geis. I'm going to get Geis for cheaper than I could. But like you're saying, the other side of the poll, that's not reality. Reality is is that you're paying a premium to try to get Geis here. People are just – they're so stuck on I'm going to buy Geis now. I'm going to buy Geis now because his his price has gone down that they're not seeing that the price – that that price isn't low. That price is high. It's insane. And so – while it sounds good in practice that, oh, hey, the young rookie got hurt, so let's buy him now because his price is going to be lower than it ever has been, I don't think that's the case in, in this in this particular circumstance. So, yeah, I, I I think I'm with you, John. I think and, – and here's my thing with guys too is that this knee injury, okay, this, this isn't an injury that you come back from after a year and go, yep, I'm better, I'm good, here I go. 
Like this could be this could affect him for two years. You know, next year he's probably not going to be the same back that you know he he was beforehand. It takes a little bit to come back from these ACL and MCL tears. Like both of them have their own set of struggles. So I, it, I'm probably dealing him for what I can get. And I I think I think John kind of pointed it out. You can get a lot for him if in the right circumstance. So well, if you can get if you can get Corey Davis for him, you you do that. I don't think that I, – I mean, yeah. I'm with you. I don't think that's realistic. And I, I think that right now would be the worst time to sell him. I mean, you hold him through the season and then you sell him preseason next year for for twice as much. You know, what's like what's Dalvin Cook going for right now? Because that's essentially what happened to Dalvin Cook. I mean, he went down early in the season. People held him all year long. Like if you sold Dalvin Cook right after the injury – you didn't get nearly what you could get for him right now. Yeah, that that's true. I think the difference is, is that Delvin Cook showed flashes in regular season games of what he was capable of, and it seemed like he got better with every yeah, game but... to where people were, were already excited about Cook, and then he went down. And I think people were already about to jump on that bandwagon with Cook. I, I don't think you have that with but guys. But guys had so, that, guys had I, that I one run, James. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. He did. He did have that one run. Um, that he hurt himself on, but no, he, he I, and I like guys. I do. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's I'm not, not a guy. I just, enough. I feel like I feel, yeah, I feel like it's not just the one year you're losing them for. So I, I, I mean, I, I, am I dealing them for a 2019 first? No, probably not. I'm probably asking more, but if you're going to give me a 2019 first and second, I'm, I'll, I'll probably doing it. So what about if you're not the guys owner and you happen to hold the opinion that I do, that next year he's going to be severely undervalued for what I believe he's going to be able to do. And I totally hear your argument, James, that it takes, it does take some time to recover from those ACLs. It seems like our, our, our recovery process has gotten quite a bit better. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely high on Dalvin Cook this year. I've I've got him pegged as the RB one overall. That's my best guess at who's gonna do it. Woo! And you know it's partly because of the offense, partly because of the situation. Um, it's partly what we saw last year before the injury. There's there's just kind of a lot there that I really like, and I think that Darius Geis is gonna be in a very similar situation next year. Obviously, the key is going to be, can he come back completely healthy and, and trust the structure of that knee? But if he does, I'm going to be, I'm going, I'm just, I can tell you now that next offseason, I'm going to be extremely high on Darius Geis. But I also recognize that this year, he's not going to do anything for me. So based on that, my question would be, if you were as high on him as I am, or you know, at least close to it. What would you be willing to pay to get Darius Geis, knowing that you're not going to get anything out of him for, you know, over a year? If I can get him straight up for a 19 first, I'm doing that all day. You'd pay a 19 first for him? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think I would too. Um, I think that's that's probably where I'm. So maybe at. that's not high enough. Then. I I think I, I tell you what though. I think <laughs> here's the thing, is that uh, the way you worded that question, John. I think I think the mm-hmm. <laughs> in my my John my uh, me trying to read John's mind here, 
John is going to like Darius Geis because Darius Geis is going to be like running back 13 or 14 on a lot of lists or 16. And John sees the talent and says, this guy could be way higher than that. And that's that's the kind of guy that John likes at running back because he can get him late or he can get him cheap. And I don't know... I don't know that John would spend a 2019 first on a running back, so I don't know if that's cheap enough. I actually my my rookie draft picks a lot of times end up being That's true. Backs, you have stated that. You have stated flex. that now that I think about it. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's it. Maybe the 2019 yeah. first actually works for you, John. I don't know that you can get it, but Yeah, I I'd start yeah. there. Okay. What's what's the max that you'd be able that you would be willing to pay to get Darius uh, guys? Twenty nineteen first is the max that I'd be willing. To. <laughs> that's that's, that's your that's yeah that's my my high. Level. That's the min. That's the max. Okay, Travis. If I I would I would pay a first and a second, or a first and. <laughs> you know, a first plus a, a you know bottom third of your roster bench type player Aaron Jones mm-hmm. that's not a bottom third of the roster player <laughs> oh it depends on depends on who's looking at the roster I guess but all right that's true that's true <laughs> let's put this in terms of actual 2018 fantasy points before we move on though so because draft picks that's that's kind of a no-brainer to me you know I feel like a 2019 first and Darius Geis are going to they're going to kind of gain the same type of value at the same rate, you know. So I mean, it, Darius guys should be worth more than a 2019 first by, you know, by May. But uh, for the time being, I mean, they're they're kind of the same thing, you know. It's it's a uh, it's this future amount of fantasy points that you're not going to get this year, but you're going to get later. So. Let's gamble a little bit with 2018, some players who are going to get you actual fantasy points that you would be willing to part with to bring in Darius Geis. Rashad Penny. Marvin Jones. Would you guys give Rashad Penny? Yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that had Penny over Geis to begin with. They were wrong, but they yeah. exist <laughs> but i mean he's i mean so guys was we can say you know after let not counting quarterbacks he was the second guy in rookie drafts and penny was probably three after the draft so would you give up you know let's say you paid the 103 for penny would you give him up for guys who went at the 102 in your rookie draft you know a month ago or whatever yeah, I think I would. You know, it's really interesting that you kind of bring that up because there's several rookie running backs that I would, and maybe I wouldn't have, you know, if this had happened before training camps opened. But Penny is one of them. I think the emergence of Chris Carson is a real concern, whether people want to acknowledge it or not. Um, I think Sony Michelle is another guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I would give Michelle up right now with that knee injury. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know I'd that. Do I don't that. think. I wouldn't do that. I, I you wouldn't would. give Michelle. I don't think you could get guys for Michelle. Really? Yeah. I, I don't think you could. I couldn't do. I, all right. I gotta be honest. I'm gonna have a hard time with all of these rookie running backs. Because all right, let's go I to think, someone else then. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to somebody who is going to. So they have to plateau essentially for me this year. Their value right now and their value in 
December, January has to be pretty close to the same for me. And that's the problem with these rookie running backs is they're they're going to gain value throughout the course of the year just through their performance unless like you can unless you can actually forecast who's going to be a bust. Royce Freeman. All right. I've got one for you. Okay. Would you give Drew Brees? Oh man. That's interesting. Uh don't hit me with this depends on your team makeup crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to It's so it's so I knew you weren't going to let it's me get so away with this. It do, it does. It does. <laughs> it but does. for the sake of the exercise in a vacuum. Right now no. I wouldn't. I you would not give wouldn't. Drew Brees. Yeah, I don't no. think I would either. So DLF Superflex ADP uh, this is obviously pre Geis injury. So he was going 25 picks ahead of Drew Brees. Obviously that's going to change. But that's an interesting value shift if he's dropping more than twenty five spots to where now he's valued below Drew Brees. That's quite that's quite the fall. What about Golden Tate? I think I Golden Tate. I would. Yeah, do. I think I would too. Now we're talking. Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah. Now, now we're in the range of the type of guys because to me, Golden Tate's not going to add any value this year. He, I don't care wow. how good he is. Wow, that's quite the statement, John. Yeah, well, I mean, he's what thirty years old. I, I don't. That doesn't mean I, he's not going to produce fantasy points. There's also a lot of mouths to feed in that offense. I I don't know that he that he has a whole lot of upside, anyways. Hmm. And I mean, so Golden Tate was Golden Tate's going one spot ahead of Drew Brees, hmm, just to that's to put a bow on that whole picture there. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, in a super flex, Drew Bree- Drew Brees actually, he would be really hard to replace. And that's you know true. if I if I'm trying to make a run at a championship this year, Drew Brees helps me do it. Golden Tate helps you, but you can replace Golden Tate. There's going to be somebody that breaks out who's available on waivers, mm. and. You could you could replace him. You can replace him throughout your draft, and I, yeah. So I I would do it. I it hurts. It definitely hurts. But that's kind of the point of this whole thing is, you know, assuming that you're going to have to give up something that would help you in 2018. How high are you willing to go? You know, before you have to just basically throw away your entire season. So. And Golden Tate is kind of the, that line for me. I think that I can still contend without Golden Tate. I've got one more fun one, and then we should move on. Okay. Kenyon Drake. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm doing it. No heartbeat. <laughs> Give Kenyon Drake for guys. Yeah, and I, I like Drake. I just, I, I'm not convinced the Dolphins do. So, yeah, I would, I would do it. John? Oh, man. Ah. I, if you want I, some pure, if you want some pure pressure, I would do it too. Would you? Oh, Come yeah. on, man! Everyone's doing it. Uh, Come on, man! Jump off this bridge <laughs> with us. All right, let's do it. <laughs> you go first. Thelma and Louise and Travis. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, I think I would do it, and and that one is a little different from these rookie running backs because just because I think that. 
Kenyon Drake has, I mean, he's for sure stuck in a running back by committee. And even though, you know, there's a potential for him to break out, I feel like there are plenty of running backs available to me in that same range. Okay, uh, can, so. can I ask one real quick? And I think I think okay. this player is going later than Kenyon Drake, but I'm just curious. Um, Lamar Miller, would you give up Lamar Miller straight up? No. No? I would Oh, uh, man. Um... Yeah, I would. Okay, I, I'm with John. I don't think I would either. But uh, but I th- <sighs> yeah, he he helps you win this year. He's more likely to help you win this year than Kenyon Drake. Mm-hmm. Miller, for the record, is going seven spots behind Kenyon Drake. Yeah, that really doesn't surprise me. No respect me. at all. Yeah, but... I mean, obviously, ADP isn't everything, and and <clears throat> it doesn't directly correlate to trade value, but. Yeah, that's interesting though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely disrespected. He's going to be more productive this year than than people are thinking, but he's on his way out in my opinion, long term. And Geis is obviously just coming in and has a longer career ahead of him. So I, I would make that move for sure. Okay, let's move on to some other situations that you guys are looking at, and we'll go through these a little bit faster from here. Um, I think that some of these are a little bit easier to to work through. So. Uh, that's kind of why we started with the ones that we did. The, I feel like those are those are pretty complex. But so uh, I think this next one was you, James. Right? Oh, it was. It was. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at the Green Bay running back situation in redraft, uh, and and we all kind of talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. Um, Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and it looks like Jamal Williams after the Aaron Jones suspension, which again is only two games. Looks like Jamal Williams has has passed Aaron Jones in in ADP, and isn't he up, Travis? Correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't it like the fourth round? Isn't he a, a fourth round ADP now? In redraft, no. no? Where was he at? Uh, eight oh one. He was at eight oh one, and then what was Aaron Jones? He was tenth. Nine oh one. Nine oh one. Okay, so Jamal Williams, I think I think you said the highest you saw him at was the fourth round, but but he had. He's he's now around going around earlier than Aaron Jones. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. In redraft. So his ADP his ADP right now is seven ten. He moves oh, up a couple spots. Okay. So it's still it's the still the earliest climbing. he's gone is four oh one, which is just nuts. That's insane, and, yeah. Yeah, Aaron Jones nine oh two, Ty Montgomery nine twelve. So they're all within basically two rounds of each other. Yeah, and a I, round and a half. Look, I tell you what, I, I personally I've I, I think I've been pretty outspoken because I'm I'm on the Jamal Williams bandwagon for this year. So in redraft I would take him over Aaron Jones, but I don't really like the value on any of these guys. I mean Jamal Williams is continuing to climb. I'm not taking him I don't think I'm taking him with a seventh round pick, you know? Um I don't I don't feel comfortable there just because this could very well be a timeshare by mid season. So I don't know that I feel comfortable taking him there. I I you know, I've already expressed my concern with Aaron Jones. I don't think the Packers trust him to be a bell cow back. I think at best he's a timeshare guy. So I personally, I'm avoiding them both in in redraft. I, I want nothing to do with this situation, and it kind of stinks because, you know, with with Aaron Rodgers being under center and the passing attack being as good as it is, you know, there's there's some running lanes and there's a lot of scoring opportunities for the right back in this this situation. I just don't know that I want to take the chance on either of these guys. So. Uh, that's my take on it. What's what's your guys' thoughts? Yeah, it's crazy because I think the 
the appeal here is if you pick the right one in the seventh or eighth round, like you could potentially have like a, a league winner at that ADP. If if one of those guys becomes the guy and you happen to pick the right one, like they're all so close in ADP, you know, it's it's pretty crazy situation. Um, but yeah, it's it's really hard. I mean, I think me and John are in agreement that Aaron Jones is the more talented player, but that two game suspension does hurt. I mean, it's, I know it's only two games, but that's two games of an audition that Jamal Williams gets, and if he performs well, they're not just going to give Aaron Jones the job. And Aaron Jones, even if he does end up winning that job back, it might take three, four, five, six more weeks. And and he could be the last half of the year guy, you know? So it could, it could potentially be a league winning selection, whichever one of those three uh, ends up being the guy, but it could potentially just be everybody who drafts any of them end up really, really frustrated all year long. Yeah, that's totally possible. I mean, the one thing I will say is the Packers aren't really a running back by committee type of team. They kind of never have been. So based on that, I mean, I think that I I would be willing to take a shot, particularly with Aaron Jones, and partly because I believe in him the most, but also just because, I mean, his the suspension is actually a little bit baked into his ADP, the part that's not baked in is the fact that it might take him, like you said, a couple extra weeks, two, three weeks to really win that job. Right. To wrestle it away from Jamal Williams. But Jamal Williams, it you know, if you have to take him in the, the fourth round or whatever, like I I'm I'm in a sixteen team draft where he went at three oh five. Wow. So yeah, that's ridiculous, right? That's not even I want that guy not even in my close league. To, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. But, but it yeah, it was I mean, Dynasty Outhouse, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> One of his many burner accounts, probably. Yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I normally I would love what Jamal Williams represents, which is, you know, a, a couple games at least of just you know where he owns the job. He doesn't have to compete with anybody. He's just, he's going to be their early down, kind of their workhorse back. And, you know, you, from there, I mean, you get, you know, three, four weeks out of him maybe. And then Aaron Jones starts to emerge. Well, I mean, that happens with most of these running backs. Something happens. They get hurt. Somebody replaces them. Whatever. They're ineffective. Like that's gonna happen with so many of these guys, and you Can have I add to something transition. In real quick, John. Yeah, totally. So all three of these guys got hurt last year. Yeah, all three of them did. And so yep. Ty Montgomery had a three-game stretch where he was the main guy in the beginning of the year. He gets hurt. Williams gets hurt in week five. Aaron Jones takes over and has a four-game stretch where he was a monster. And then Jones gets hurt, and then. Jamal Williams comes in and finishes out the final eight games as the main guy. And so it really, there's a, (laughs) it could play out like that exactly or not exactly, but you know what I mean? Like they could all kind of switch off depending on who's available. Um, But Jamal Williams, and I know yards per carry isn't everything. It's a flawed stat. And 
Williams played the last half of the year with Bre- with Brett Hundley, so obviously the offense wasn't nearly as good. But Jamal Williams had 3.6 yards per carry during his eight game stretch. Ty Montgomery had 3.8 yards per carry during that there, during his three game stretch, and then Aaron Jones had 5.5 yards per carry during his four games. Yeah, it, and but again, I mean, there's just even at 3.6 yards per carry. I mean, if he's getting you know, 20, 25 carries because there's nobody else while Aaron Jones is on suspension. I'll still take that. It's just my problem is, I mean, like you like you said, they all kind of served a purpose throughout last season. The most likely scenario is that that happens again this year. Like, and that's most backfields. So, you know, there there's the skeptic in me of running backs, but it ends up happening that way. So, yeah, I'm just I'm not willing to take Jamal Williams at his ADP, even though he's kind of the perfect zero RB type of target for me. He's just he's you have to get him a little too early when you're only going to get a handful of games out of him. Quick sidebar, and then we'll go to the next one. What do you guys think about Jamal Williams adding ten pounds this off season? I I don't know that that's what he needed. Um, he seemed. I, I I guess I guess I don't. <laughs> I don't think it is. Either. I, well, here's the it thing. really really like, concerns like he's, me. He's kind of a plotter, right? So basically, you have yeah. you have two two options at that point. Either a, you try to try to shed that weight, or or you know try to add muscle and and try to try to you know just become quicker, um, or b you just embrace it and you add on that bulk and you say i'm gonna be like garrett <laughs> just let yourself go yeah like I, I, you know <laughs> like Blunt, let yep. yourself it's, go and turn into lindale there you White. go there you go like i'm gonna embrace <laughs> this role i'm gonna be a plotter but guess what I, you're gonna need three guys to take me down i'm gonna be the best damn plotter there is so i i, I don't know man i guess i yeah, mean had that had that turn out the last time they had a a running back who decided to just lean into an eating well, well, hey, hey now, well hey now. now that that it it don't don't go. I, I like Jamal Williams too Poor much guy. to hear about the Eddie Lacy comparisons already. No, <laughs> can't have it. All right, guys. So um, I'm, I'm going to go to the the dynasty aspect here, and I I. Uh, all right, look, we've we've talked about this player, and I know neither of you think very highly of him. However, after a preseason game. Teddy Bridgewater looks to be healthy, and he, he only played one drive, but he looked really good on that drive. Um, quarterbacks are always going to be needed. Some, some A starting quarterback is going to go down this preseason. It happens all the time. It's going to happen. Or, you know, a team like Buffalo is going to say, our guys are not looking good. What are we going to do? Or, you know, a, another team, any other team could just say, hey, look, we need an upgrade at quarterback. What do you do if you have Teddy Bridgewater rostered? If you do, he's probably at the end of your bench already. But do you do you hold him in a dynasty aspect and go, hey, look, he may end up being traded to another team and getting an opportunity to play right away? Or do you cut him and go, hey, this guy's probably not going to make the Jets with Sam Darnold looking good and Josh McCown probably being, you know, potentially being the number two if Darnold does start? Um I mean, I could see so many different scenarios for Teddy Bridgewater. What what would you guys do with him in Dynasty? Is there a move to make here? Is it just a, a clear hold, or so, do you cut ties now? I, I, I didn't really think cutting him was an option at all. I think that's a I think that's bad strategy. I think that even right now, from this one preseason game and this one Roto World blurb, I think that he's already got trade value. 
even if it's just a little bit, there's a little bit of a trade window right now, but I know like I don't have him anywhere, but if I did, I would probably double down and hope that he has another solid outing or maybe even hold him into the beginning of the season and hope that he does get traded because if he does, his value is going to go up significantly. So I don't think I'm cutting him for sure, and I probably am not trading him just yet. But if he, I, I, this goes back to what you were saying, James. I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan, anyways. So if he does get traded and he has a significant value boost, that's definitely when I'm gonna uh, get out from under him. Nice. Yeah, I don't really, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think I would take the same approach. Just look for the the first sell window, and. Uh, hang on to him until then can you can you imagine though i mean I, I i'm just just kind of thinking out loud here can you imagine if he let's say he gets cut let's say the jets go you know what you know we're not going to keep three quarterbacks we couldn't find a trade partner or whatever we're just gonna we're gonna cut bait you know it's it's the fourth preseason game he's looked good but you know we're, we can't keep him can you imagine if he ends up in new england you know as like as like <laughs> as like the number two that's, to brady or something i mean i just well, in the right to beat out my boy brian hoyer so don't go too crazy there. Uh, yeah that that's that should be difficult but um so, <laughs> but i just this guy in the right situation almost seems like i almost want to hold him just to see what happens like i i don't he's he's probably a back of the roster guy you know like you're, you're probably not counting on this guy in a super flex he's probably your qb4 or maybe your qb5 even i mean you're you're not really counting on teddy bridgewater right like you sure as hell hope he, yeah, hope he is yeah, yeah i mean you probably got this guy off the waiver wire last year when he was you know like sitting out there with a broken leg still and wasn't playing still and you know all that but i mean if, if you have this guy rostered like it's got to at least be encouraging seeing that he's healthy and seeing that he's playing. Everyone's talking about Andrew Luck, and rightfully so. I'm not saying Teddy Bridgewater's Andrew Luck. He's not even close. But this is a guy who who kind of missed a lot of time too and now looks like he might be healthy. I just wonder in Superflex if he gets an opportunity, you know, kind of where his value goes. So I was, I was interested in hearing what you guys had to say um, with him. So, um, yeah, we can move along. All right, so I've got one last one here for you guys, and this is kind of – this kind of goes with a strategy that I like to employ, um, but essentially, let's talk about the quote-unquote number two running backs that are that get camp hype and preseason hype, and subsequently a boost in dynasty value. Um, so guys like Chris Carson, will I'm sure we'll talk about whether or not he qualifies for this section. John, Devontae Booker, <laughs> Buck Allen's getting some hype. Peyton Barber obviously is getting a, a lot of hype the last couple of days. John Kelly had a good showing in preseason. So essentially my argument is Carson Booker, Buck Allen, Peyton Barber potentially even though I like Barber. But these are the these are the kinds of guys that if you're if you held them through the offseason, you were basically hoping for a moment like it, like the moment that's happening right now. Because six months ago, these guys were nothing. They were they were worthless. Or maybe not even six months ago. Maybe right after the draft, right? Right after the draft, these guys all took a big hit. Or for whatever reason. Each of them have their own reasons. But th- my argument is these are all like number two guys that you had at the, the bottom of your running back depth charts on your dynasty teams. And you're hoping, you're praying for a moment like right now in which they get a dynasty value boost. And you can ship them off 
for you know to the people that are that are buying the hype do you guys generally agree with me on that take or are you looking to acquire these guys and and potentially get a value on a player that could have a role for you so these i mean number two running backs like just kind of as a general rule i could get on board with that but there are a couple of these guys i mean you've already called me out so i'm just gonna come out and say it chris i've been buying chris carson for over a year now and i didn't even stop when he was injured because i think that he is i i've said it before and i got shit for it then so who cares i already broke the seal on it chris carson's an electric playmaker and I think that there's a there's a very good reason that he's running ahead of Rashad Penny in Seattle right now, and I don't think that's going away. Yeah, no, that and that's interesting. So, I, I know, <laughs> I know you you really you really like Chris Carson as an electric playmaker. Plug yeah. him in is is what you say. Put, plug him in. Batteries not yeah, included. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I I, I kind of agree with you, Travis. If if I have these guys rostered now, is probably the time that I'm moving them. But there's more to it. I, I'm probably moving them to a particular owner. So Chris Carson, if I'm moving him, I'm looking at who owns Rashad Penny, and I'm I'm you know that's the guy who I'm going to target him towards because I think he has more value to that owner than to others. Devontae Booker. You know, this guy's still running with the first team. I know Freeman looked good, but this guy's still getting those carries. Do you want to have Denver's back for sure? Come come get Booker, you know, like Buck Allen, you know. Hey, Alex Collin owner, you know, uh, you know Buck Allen looks like he's going to have some value too, you know. Uh, what what if what if Alex Collins goes down, you know? Same thing, Peyton Barber with the Rojo guy. You know, you draft a Rojo to be a running back, and it looks like, you know, he's, he's going to be backing up Barber. Do you want the starter in Tampa Bay, you know? And and John Kelly is really the interesting one because, man, I, I love John Kelly. But, I mean, let's face it. He was like the third running back to see time in a, in, in for the Rams, and that's without Gurley playing. So while he had a very good showing, and I'm really high on him, he's not even really the handcuff there. So if I can, if I can move him right now for, you know, to the Todd Gurley owner for something decent, I'm probably doing that too. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Travis, with the, at least kind of what your thought process was. I'm probably moving every single one of these guys if I can now, um, because I think their price is right. But I'm, I, again, you, you just kind of, in my opinion, you're, you're going to want to move them to the right owner. And I think that these guys each have value to the right owner. I think I, I think I generally agree with you that that's a good place to start, but you shouldn't limit yourself to that owner either. Obviously, I, I, know, I know you're not saying that, but you start with that owner. But if that guy doesn't want him, like I've tried that so many times, you try to sell a handcuff to somebody, and they're like, "Nah, man, screw you." Like, you know what I mean? There's sometimes that happens, and then you can shop them around. But so let's let's hit on Chris Carson real quick, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you- you're gonna so, you're gonna hit on him too, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take him out. Um, Who doesn't? <laughs> swipe right, swipe right. <laughs> I meant like sniper style, like take him out. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, so as far as like the whole reason we're having this conversation is because we know we all know preseason doesn't matter, especially preseason week one. So who's listed first on a depth chart? 
in August after preseason one does not matter to me. Who came in as the number two or number three doesn't matter. The the teams aren't showing their hands yet, right? Like I think that's a general as a general rule we can agree that what we're seeing as far as how these players are are ordered right now doesn't really matter. Um and maybe it matter it does matter a little bit who comes in with what team and whatnot, but it matters less in preseason week one, that's for sure. Um so the Seahawks <laughs> the Seahawks spent a first round pick on Rashad Penny. That doesn't matter. A first round pick this year on Rashad doesn't Penny, matter. it absolutely matters. Chris Carson doesn't is a seventh matter. round pick from last year who played yep. four games. He had one game with twenty carries. Three games with 12 or fewer carries. He scored one touchdown in those four games. He wasn't a factor in the passing game. He averaged 52 rushing yards and 9.9 PPR points per game last season in those four games. Mm-hmm. That's not a special guy. That's not an electric playmaker. He he looked good when he played. Like He looked like he was an NFL running back. But they drafted a first-round running back this offseason. <laughs> I, I mean... I can't believe it's gotten to the point where I have to defend Rod, Rashad Penny because I didn't really like him um, coming into the draft, but he's going to be the lead running back in this backfield by a significant margin, in my opinion. And, I mean, will he be the guy there, like, first snap under center week one? Maybe not. Maybe Chris Carson technically starts week one. Mm-hmm. But I just don't I don't see how you could make the case for Chris Carson beating out this new first round pick that they just brought in. I just don't see it. Okay, but he's doing it. He's doing it right in now. In preseason, bro. Come on. Yeah, which still matters. Devontae Booker is beating out Royce Freeman. Peyton Barber is beating out uh, Ronald Jones. Yes, they are. There was just a blurb today that Devontae Booker is the R B one. The, or no, that was Peyton Barber. Like the 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 head coach came out to say and said Peyton Barber is our starting running back, and people yeah. are like, that doesn't matter, dude. Yeah, it, I get that you think it, it matters more because you like Chris Carson. <laughs> I get that. <laughs> well, that's part of it. Yeah, and I'll admit, but... like I think that Peyton Barber, the Peyton Barber blurb, matters a little bit more than other ones because I'm a little bit biased because I don't really like Ronald Jones, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I, I know deep down in my heart that Peyton Barber's not going to lead that team in touches. That's not going to happen. What about touchdowns? Well, we already bet that. He's absolutely <laughs> going to beat that. <laughs> I was, I was, I was going to offer you the chance to back out of that, but sounds like you're sticking to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, I mean, we don't have to go but, too far into Chris Carson, but I would like to hear your argument as to how 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 have you seen enough in those four games with those stats that I just said to you? Nine point nine PPR points per game, one rushing touchdown, fifty two yards, fifty two rushing yards per game. Like, yeah, behind a dreadful offensive line. Sure, it it's going to come down to because for that often that offensive line didn't get any better, and in fact they lost one of their offensive tackles. I don't think he was a starter, but. I mean, they're well. In your defense, I think Carson played his his all four of his games before they made that trade that trade for, for uh, Dwayne, was Brown. Dwayne Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it did get exactly. a little bit so, better. Yeah, 
Okay, yeah. So the offensive line will be a little bit better, but I mean, you still have to. You need playmakers on the field who can create their own yards because that offensive line just doesn't do enough. So and I mean that it you know it all has to mesh with what what Russell Wilson does. Chris Carson gets out in space. He can he can create those yards and he can catch the ball out of the backfield. This is all stuff that that's going to be vitally important for them. I mean, I think that you could be right that Rashad Penny at some point takes over that role as just a more complete back. But for the time being, I mean, there's a very good reason that Chris Carson is out on the field with the running with the ones. And it's because number one, he, he knows the system better. He knows the, the pass protection assignments better. And number two, he can, he can create those yards. He can, he's not reliant on, you know, the offensive line opening up holes because you're going to be waiting a long time for that to happen right at the moment. Yeah, he also, with those stats too, uh, let me just point out, Chris Carson averaged 4.2 yards per carry last year in four games. So he didn't he didn't see a, a, a whole lot of carries in those four games either. Um, so, I mean, if, if you know, if, if they're committed to giving him the ball and feeding him the ball, I mean, the one time he had over 12 carries he rushed for 93 yards he averaged 4.65 yards per carry against san francisco so i mean i i'm just saying i there there's more there's there's some more to the numbers than than kind of what what were displayed there you know so i mean i at least in a in a yards and again i i we already stated yards per carry isn't you know the end all be all it's not as it's a there there's it can be a flawed statistic but i mean 4.2 4.2 yards per carry just shows that on those on the carries he had he was pretty efficient. I mean, 4.2 yards per carry is pretty good. Again, especially that's fair. Especially considering that, it's a poor offensive line that he was running behind too. So, right. I mean, if we're gonna dive that deep into it, though, look at those four opponents. He played Green Bay, San Francisco, Tennessee, and Indianapolis. Like if my memory serves me well, those were all four pretty bad defenses. Probably. And as far as being a factor in the passing game, he had he averaged one point seven five catches over those four games per game. One point seven five. All right, I mean we'll see, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I know you like the guy. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I just I, I think that going off a of draft pedigree is historically accurate. Is that what you're going to say? Okay. Is there a, is there a historical accuracy when it comes to the Seattle Seahawks cuz I don't know about that. Interesting argument. Oh, okay. <laughs> All I'm saying is the Seattle Seahawks make some pretty questionable personnel decisions and they always have under Pete Carroll anyways. So, yeah, but drafting yeah. Rashad Penny in the first round could easily be another one of those. But Pete Carroll doesn't care when you were drafted like once you're in uniform and once you're on the field nothing matters other than production and chris could i think that's true to an extent but i mean i don't know man (laughs) i feel like there's there's so many factors that i mean the he's going to be pressured to play him like they have to they have to save face and and yeah. let everybody know that they didn't make a huge mistake in the first round, at yeah, least for this I, year. I, here, here's the thing, though. He and, has and to play. 
But here's the thing. I, I don't know. I, it, I think it matters, Travis. I agree with you. But I, I, Seattle might be the place where it matters the least. And I, I know we brought this up before, but, like, I, they had pressure to play Matt Flynn when they brought him in. They paid that dude. They paid him a lot of money to come in and be the starter there. And then Russell Wilson just, just – he looked better in camp. And it was undeniable that he gave them the better chance to win. And they played Russell Wilson over this guy who they just threw a bunch of money at in free agency. And even though, I mean, if if, if that didn't work out – you know, this was going to look like a terrible move, and the GM, you know, I, this whole thing would blow up in their face. They didn't anyway, so I don't know. In Seattle, they've kind of set a precedent for that where, you know, if if this guy gives us a better chance to win, he's going to play. And so I, I, I think it matters because I think you're right. Draft capital, especially early, really does matter. But I just – I think if there is a place that it matters less, it, Seattle might be might be that one place. And that's that's definitely a fair argument. But I think it matters enough <laughs> in this particular situation when they when they reached on that guy and everybody's I mean the general consensus in the football world was that that was a bad pick. And yeah, that's that's definitely true. Uh, the bottom line to me is Rashad Penny's not going to be handed this job. He's actually got beat out Chris Carson, and right now he's not doing it. That's totally true, and that that's why that's why Chris Carson is running with the ones right now is because he's the incumbent and because Rashad Penny is a rookie and because mm-hmm. it's the preseason. Anyways, we've, we're probably going on way too long about Chris Carson. Just cut he's the whole Chris to, Carson bit out. <laughs> he's going to be awesome. That's all you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do one last segment here. And this one was created by our own James, the brain Catullus. This is called what if, and Basically, we're just going to let's just run through a couple hypothetical scenarios. What if blank happens? Then what? So since uh, since this was your the brainchild of the brain, let's start with you, James. Uh, All right, guys, I'm going to start it off. I'm excited for this. Okay, so what if Deshaun Watson is really as good as he showed in limited action last season? So let, let me start by saying that if you extrapolate his stats throughout the course of a full year, it, they're, they're insane. He would have had 4,814 passing yards, 51 passing touchdowns, 5 rushing touchdowns, 23 interceptions, though, and 762 <laughs> rushing yards. What, what if, what if Deshaun Watson is really that good? He would retire and be inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame immediately. <laughs> yeah. It would break every record of yeah. ever, dude. And yeah, twenty three interceptions too is like that's that's no joke. But isn't that that would be insane? That would break Tom Brady's passing touchdown record. He would have fifty one. Brady threw for fifty, um, seven hundred and sixty two rushing yards on top of it. Um, with five rushing touchdowns on top of the fifth. That would be insane. But imagine, think about this. DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller would have to be like top 10 fantasy receivers too, wouldn't they? They'd have uh, to be number one and number two. I Dude, yeah. it would be, that. It, how insane would that be? I mean, and, Hopkins and would he, have 2,000 receiving yards. <laughs> and the Houston Texans are, pro- they, they have to win that division, right? I mean, they beat Jacksonville out in that division. You would have to think, or or are they just oh, passing for so many yards because the defense is trash? 
Is is that almost the narrative well, no, that has to happen? No, because they scored. The team scored fifty six touchdowns just from their quarterback position. Like they're they're winning games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. I but the, but that defense still has to kind of be garbage for them to continue to to put the ball in the air, right? Or, or are they just they're 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 gonna? They just uh, can't help it. Bill Belichick is like, so good. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> Madden on rookie mode where you just like can't help but score even when you don't necessarily want to. You just like just break off a long run when you're just trying to grind the clock. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, like you take the snap and you kneel it and uh, wow, I'm in the end zone. That was a touchdown. I don't I don't even know how that happened. Yeah. <laughs> it would almost take like that's that would be insane, but I mean, the ramifications, if that happens, is Deshaun Watson becomes QB1. Um, For life. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I he, he becomes QB1. Um, he's he's going to be uttered. Uh, that would be, like you guys said, that would uh, that would be the greatest quarterback season we've ever seen. Even with the People 23 People would talk picks. about that season for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. He would win fantasy championships if he does that over the course of a full year. Um DeAndre Hopkins, of course, would be the main beneficiary. However, Will Fuller had like what, like eight touchdowns in the four games, or this? He had an incredible amount of touchdowns when he when Watson played. I think they played four games together, and he had like seven touchdowns. So, Will Fuller probably has double digit touchdowns, which is twenty eight of them. Twenty eight <laughs> touchdowns. Could you imagine, dude? I, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, if this were to happen, even if, even on a smaller scale, obviously. But if, if if Deshaun Watson lives up to the hype, I mean, it, it could be like it, we could be seeing something. We could really be seeing something. And I know a lot of people are really cautious with him, and I am. I'm one of those people. But I think that's that that was kind of the fun of this. What if for me was, dude, if 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 I'm wrong, and if Deshaun Watson is really that good, man, uh, he's he's going to win people championships. All right, Travis, let's hear yours. All right, so my what if is – it's going to sound a little funky, but let me explain. What if Brandon Cooks takes the wide receiver one job in Los Angeles? You all might be thinking, but Travis, of course he's going to be the wide receiver one. <laughs> he is the wide receiver one. <laughs> all right, so, <laughs> so Travis, walk, walk, with me, walk with me down this, down this story path here for a second. Um, Are you sure so, you can walk a straight line on this one? You might. So, ha, 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 ha. LaCroix, baby. Last season, all right, so just hear me out. Walk with me here. Last season, Jared Goff attempted 477 passes, okay? Over the entirety of Sean McVay's coaching career, the wide receiver one on his offenses has averaged 18.56% of the team's targets. So even if we say, let's let's up Jared Goff's attempts to 500 this season, which I doubt would happen. These guys know that they have Todd Gurley on their team. But let's say Jared Goff increases his pass attempts by 5% and, pa- and passes the ball 500 times. So even if we say that, and we assume Brandon Cooks immediately takes over as the wide receiver one on this offense from week one, based on the historical trends in Sean McVay's offenses, Cooks would be in line for roughly 93 targets, which would be his low- lowest target total in three years. So And then using his efficiency numbers over the last three seasons those 93 targets for cooks would turn into 58 catches 875 yards and 6.2 touchdowns which translates into 182.7 fantasy points 
all of those numbers would be three-year lows for Cooks. And that 182.7 fantasy points would have made him the wide receiver 25 last season. And remember, we up we we upped Jared Goff's pass attempts by five percent in that hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Well, let me go ahead and start by saying the one of the the big things you left out is that Brandon Cooks has improved his yards per catch every season of his career. He started out in 2014 averaging 10.4 yards per reception, went all the way up to 13.5 the next year, all the way up a yard and a half to 15.0 the year after that, and another yard and a half up to 16.6 last year. So if he continues that trend, he's going to be averaging 18 yards per reception. So how oh, come on. Rece- <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm extrapolating the numbers. You took a three-year average. He has a four-year career. And his career. I took his three best years. It's fourteen point one. I took his three best year average. I, I, I'm I'm just saying. I'm just merely stating that every year it's it's improved, has it not? Sure. Okay. So he's if also we, if he's we, also you're leaving out the all important factor of he's going from Drew Brees and Tom Brady to Jared Goff. Uh, okay, I I suppose that. So that's, you expect uh, his efficiency to increase. That's what you're telling me. Uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Based on his numbers, why wouldn't I? Hmm. Okay. They have every year. Um, and he's he's already playing on two different teams with two different quarterbacks. So yeah, I do, I do uh, think that uh, that that can happen. And so there, therefore, he would need less receptions and less targets to be as efficient as he has been. Um, he's over his past three seasons, he's had over a thousand yards receiving every single one of those years, and he's averaged eight touchdowns a year. So. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you if you kind of want to extrapolate that, I understand in Sean McVay's offense. But looking at Brandon Cooks's his numbers over the past three seasons, I think you'll see that you know something's got to give. Whether it's Sean McVay's offense or Brandon Cooks and his his career trajectory and kind of his averages would still state that he's probably a pretty safe low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. So, so you think something's got to give? And you mm-hmm. think that it's not going to be the player moving from two Hall of Fame quarterbacks to Jared Goff well, into a let's, system let's... that has a that has historically only given eighteen percent of the targets to the wide receiver one on the team. Well, and that's interesting. That that no, you you make a good point there. But let's also look at the other side of the coin. Where was Sean McVay, the offensive coordinator, before he was uh, the head coach um, in in uh, L.A. Washington. In Washington. Who was Washington's number one receiver while he was there? Nobody near as good as Brandon Cooks. So <laughs> I think I think there's some context here too. Did the wide receiver one not get a, a big share of the targets because the wide receiver one wasn't very good? Or did he not receive a big share of the targets because you know, it's it's the scheme of things. So I, I don't know. I think there's still a lot to be answered there. So it's definitely a valid context, question. I think and in context, there, there, you can make an argument either way, but I'm going to go with the consistency for the player. Um, personally, that's that's where I would lean on this. Okay, so in your hypothetical in which all of these trends say the same, but he increases his yards per catch to 18, which is absolutely insane, but let's just roll with it, <laughs> he would be he would have finished as the wide receiver 19 last season. 
he would have finished as the wide receiver. He finished as better than the wide receiver 19 last season as was, didn't he? Yeah, on a different team. I'm saying if we take oh, okay. the okay. the 500 pass attempts, 18 whatever percent, 18, what did I say? 18.56% team targets, and then you up that to 18 yards per reception. Okay. So his fantasy points would, would put him right so at he'd, wide receiver he'd 19. Be, he'd be wide receiver 19. So who on the Rams, because you, you stated that Brandon Cooks, what if Brandon Cooks is the wide receiver one in L.A.? Which Ram receiver is going to be better than wide receiver 19 that's going to make Brandon Cooks not the wide receiver one? No, those are, those are the numbers if he's the wide receiver one. Oh, okay. Okay. Those are the I those are the historical wide receiver one numbers in Sean McVay offenses. Anyways, I just thought it was an interesting picture to paint. You you absolutely could end up being right, James, and that's kind of the the last point here is, you know, could the Rams and Sean McVay just love this guy so much that they alter their system to get him the ball more? That could absolutely happen, but it's it's definitely worth noting, I think, and taking into consideration what offense he's going into and what quarterback he's going to and how those numbers have looked in the past. No, and I agree. I, I think a lot of times we devaluate the the importance of coaching and scheme that they're going into. Um, I, I think there's a lot to read into that. And so I, I, I definitely think that it's interesting. But I also think that, you know, like you said, you know, that there's there's context. And so there's a lot of different different moving parts with this one. Where, like I said, I mean, I, I pretty much pretty much said I, I could see it going either way. I really could. I, I'll bet on the player just because I've seen the consistency on two different teams. But you're right. I mean, he's getting a downgrade in quarterback. But, I mean, Drew Brees traditionally, and same thing with Tom Brady, traditionally they, they like to spread the ball around. Um, it's It's been a while since, you know, Tom Brady's had a true number one, in my opinion. So, I, I don't I don't know how that how that affects him either. But no, I, I think it's definitely an interesting case study. Also, um Bobby at, at Rec Fantasy, you you better be team James. Um this <laughs> one because I just I just stood up for Brandon Cooks, all right? Bobby's always team James. You don't even have to uh, that's that's just yeah, he's no, he's just, absolutely no reason. He's just he's, he's just never team John. That's that's all. That, well, that's for damn Good point. sure. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of gave up trying. He's he's just never going to be team John. So that's that's <laughs> fine. And so based on that, based on that there's absolutely nothing to be gained by siding with Brandon Cooks and with James here. I'm actually I'm going to tell you guys I think it's somewhere in the middle, but of you two. Because I, I don't think that Jared Goff's going to get away with only throwing the ball 500 times this year. He's definitely not going to get away with throwing it five, 477 times, but I think it could increase by 70 pass attempts because Todd Gurley's not going to be as efficient and as, and as effective as he was last year. So, But I do think that there are, you know, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and maybe even the tight end position are going to absorb some of those extra attempts. So I still like Brandon Cooks to be a, a top 12 wide receiver personally, but or eh, let's say top 15. But I'll give you one last one, and this is going to be pretty straightforward, just a punch in the nose here. 
What if Case Keenum sucks? Here's the thing, guys. He doesn't. <laughs> He's... <laughs> I've been saying this to you for weeks, John. Case Keenum does not suck. He's going to be awesome. But what if? What if Case Keenum sucks? We just saw, I mean, he he certainly, he went up against a very good Minnesota Vikings defense. He wasn't able to get much done, especially after a uh, an offensive, a false start on the offensive line derailed their opening drive. I, I don't know. I, I mean, there's not a whole lot to to glean from two two quick series in the first preseason game against that defense, but we went on to see Chad Kelly look amazing against number threes and throwing to number threes. Let's just play this out. What if what if Case Keenum does happen to be this? He's not. But what if that was? The real Case Keenum. What happens then? Well, first off, I can say I'll I'll be sad because I'm starting to buy into the Case Keenum hype, and not really a hype, just just him being a value at his his current ADP. And so I, I'm kind of pulling for the guy, and so I, I kind of want I, I really want to see him succeed there. But um, yeah, if not, I mean, really, it, I, I, it there's multiple. I mean, it, it really affects multiple pieces. I mean. Demarius Thomas probably has a down year. Same thing with Emmanuel Sanders. Um, and if that happens, they both could be gone at the end of this year. And I think you would have more knowledge, John, than I would. But I think that's a real real scenario with the drafting of Cortland Sutton, with uh, with the drafting of, uh, of Deshaun Hamilton. There's a chance that they move on from both those guys. And if, if he's not very good, the Broncos probably aren't very good. What kind of effect does it have on the running game? Uh, is Royce Freeman affected by it? Um, you know, if so, does that stunt his growth? You know, if 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 he's facing loaded boxes because no one's worried about stopping Keenum because he sucks, um, and then you know, then do the Broncos are the Broncos a, a, a candidate for taking a quarterback early in the draft next year and really looking to go young with Cortland Sutton, Hamilton, a young you know, uh, highly picked rookie quarterback. Um, you know, are, are, do they enter rebuild mode? You know, on offense. So I think that depends, James, on how Chad Kelly looks after they bench Keenum this year. You mean Paxton Lynch? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Who will take? No, I'm joking. Um, yeah, no, and uh, yeah, and that's 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 the other question, honestly. But um, I, I, yeah, how long do you wait to bench Keenum? Too. I mean, how I. I, I guess I don't know. I, I, I don't know how long, how long of a leash does Keenum have? Um, Six really bad games two. in a row. Yeah, I think dude, I don't Keenum, – if, if that happens, if they wait six games, Chad Kelly's going to have to come in and light the world on fire to turn this team around to where they're not a rebuilding team next year, in my opinion. So I guess you that think, was – You think – Sorry, no, you think ahead. if he no, if he sucks really bad, you think they don't even wait six games? You think they try to save the season? Uh, I, dude, I, I like. Let's I don't say they know. start zero and six, dude. Like if if we're talking yeah. about him really sucking, let's say they start zero and six. Yeah, I, I again, I, I think how much of the blame is him? How much is is how bad is Keenum looking? I mean. And, and, you know, also, how, how good is Chad Kelly looking? I mean, a lot of times they'll look at the other option they have and go, hey, is it is it better than what we've got? If it's 0-6, then they, they, I mean, they probably, you know, their hand is forced to do something probably at that point. I mean, you don't want to 
lose your fan base for the entire season. So you probably want to try to do something, and normally replacing the quarterback is it. But, um, man, I, I I don't know. I mean, that's I, maybe I'm wrong, but I, th- I feel like that's a lot to ask from Chad Kelly from – you're the QB three starting out in training camp in the preseason to you're the QB two to you're going to be starting, you know, five or six weeks in. Like, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but I, the I, Seahawks I really paid a lot of money to Matt Flynn. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's not about the money. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're right. He practices that voice all the time, by the way. That's my James. It was really good. James it was spot voice. on, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty good. I thought I was talking, and I'm like, so, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> what dimension so, is this? John, uh-huh. if they start 0-6, who loses their job first, Vance Joseph or Case Keenum? Ooh, Vance. Vance. I don't, probably right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be two years in a row of a – you know, six plus game losing streak. You can't do that as a head coach. So unless you're coaching Cleveland, but yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> ask you about that. Breaking news. Broncos trade for Hugh Jackson. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, that would be horrible. Best uh, trade ever <laughs> as a Browns fan. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say Tyrod Taylor because, so the reason that I asked this question is it's less about Case Keenum and it's more about Chad Kelly. He looked awesome in the first preseason game, but he was working with the third string. He was playing against the third string defense. He still had some mistakes. He still looked like a young quarterback, and not to mention the fact that he went an entire NFL season without being able to do any kind of conditioning. I Maybe he's in in the type of shape where he could play an entire NFL game and finish out an NFL schedule. But I don't know that that feels like a lot to ask as well. So I guess, I guess kind of the question there is, is it necessarily Chad Kelly who would replace case Keenum or in that worst case scenario where Keenum is not what they thought they were getting? Do you, you know, do you find a veteran to finish out the season, or at least most of it, and then maybe go to Kelly later towards the end of the season? Bring back in Brock Osweiler at that uh, point? Is that oh. what you're saying? Ooh. Yeah. I don't know why you <laughs> would go – I don't know why a team would go the veteran route in that case. Like, you're going you're gonna to use – you're going to spend capital in some form or fashion to get a, a veteran quarterback to come in and, and do what? He's not going to win games and take you to the playoffs. I mean, anybody that's available, you know, you might as well throw Chad Kelly out there and see what you have. And then if he sucks too, then you know you're drafting a quarterback. So everything you just said, by the way, this is just a side note, but everything you just said applies to Sam Bradford for me 100%. Like, why would why would you why would you waste the time on that if he's not going to so be I, <laughs> Yeah, so I have said... As long as he's healthy and as long as the Cardinals aren't sucking, he will play. But still if we point, go if, if we go zero and six, they're not gonna they're not gonna keep Bradford in there. Okay, fair enough. The other reason I wanted to bring this up is because I mean I've I've been beating the drum for Case, um, even though I'll never be, even though Bobby will never be Team John, we still happen to agree quite a bit on Case Keenum, and that ends up being kind of a a, a bond between us. Um, but, you know, beyond that, 
I don't know. There hasn't been a whole lot of discussion about this this quarterback situation, and I know that you know I'm probably a little too close to the situation. I I have a rooting interest for one thing, but for another thing, I you know I'm I'm probably a little too close to the to the local media. We've talked about this before, so I I really did like in earnest want to get some you know some some perspective from you guys on that quarterback situation and the possibility that I have probably you know prematurely ruled out where Case Keenum isn't what I think he might be so I like Case Keenum too and this is the same thing that we've talked about multiple times John as I I like him but my it goes back to why I'm hesitant with him in dynasty superflex is because that risk is there there is a chance that he ends up not being very good and if you acquire him and you i mean right now it's the most expensive case keenum's ever been is right now and if you get that guy and he ends up sucking or even not being very good you you know you risk this happening and and he isn't the quarterback next year and then you've you've spent capital in some form to acquire him and now he's basically a dead asset on your team and with that we're going to wrap it up for the week but as we do that we're going to ask you the same old favor to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and if you're on itunes please give us a rating and a review it helps us to expand our reach and grow our audience so that we can really focus in on the topics that are the most useful to you the listener you can also, by the way, subscribe to the DLF Family of Podcasts mega feed and get access to all of the great podcasts from DLF, including the Superflex Super Show. In the vein of listener interaction, send us your trades on Twitter. That's at Superflex Show, and we can retweet them. We can help you get more votes and more comments, and sometimes we even talk about them right here on the podcast. While you're at it, you can follow the show at Superflex Show, and you can also follow Travis. He's at TravisNFL. James is at underscore James the Brain, and I'm at Superflex Dude. And by the way, you can check out our all of our Superflex and 2QB rankings on DynastyLeagueFootball.com. Thank you to Heart and Soul Radio for the song Me Addiction that we use as our intro and outro music. And above all else, Thank you to each and every one of you for listening. Until next week, stay sexy and super flexy. Bye.